Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. And this really is a very special show today as I honor two women veterans on this Veterans Day 2019. My guests are Betsy Warren and Susan Durham. Welcome to the show, Betsy. Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure. And the same to you, Susan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. It's going to be it's going to be quite a story. And I want to just first off thank you both for your service because this show is about your experience stationed in the 95th Evac Hospital in Da Nang, Vietnam in 1971. And because that's how you met, and that's what we're going to be focusing on and on your military experience, I thought it would be really great to just learn a little bit about you. I must tell the listeners and and you, Susan, um, Betsy and I have known each other since we were in the seventh grade. We went to junior high and high school together, and um, she has a twin sister that lives very close to my house, Leah. And we have been friends for a very, very long time. And as we got together a month or so ago, um, last month, I guess, um, I was talking to her about, you know, it would be really cool to do a show about your experience in Vietnam. And she mentioned you, Susan, and that this would be a great opportunity for both of you. So let's start with you, Betsy, since I've already sort of introduced the fact that we know each other. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, I was a former nurse, um, although I do still have my nursing license. I graduated from nursing school in January 1970, and I joined the military in May 1970. I went through basic training, OR school, and then I was assigned to Fort Hood, Texas, and went to Vietnam in 1971. When I came back home, I um, was a first lieutenant. I became a civilian and worked as a nurse in various hospitals and various positions, including the ICU, a medical floor, oncology. I continue to have my nursing license, although I have not worked as a nurse since 1983. I've worked as a preschool teacher since 1989 and continue working as a lead program teacher in our Mommy and Me class. I'm married. I have three children and three grandchildren. Yes. Okay. And um, Betsy, the other thing I think that's really important for you to maybe mention right now is that you're not the only one in your family that was in the military, correct? No. Um, my mother was uh, whacked during World War II, and that's where she met my father, who was not in the military because he had a medical deferment. So, yes, oh, that's she was very that's proud that's... of my service. Well, my, my parents were very proud of my, my I bet service. they were. 
that they were. So, so Susan, your experience is a little bit, well, first of all, we didn't meet in the seventh grade, so I didn't know you, and I'm just getting to know you now. So let's learn a little bit about you. Okay. Well, first of all, it's so great that I've been able to stay in touch with Betsy all these years, and um, it's, I'm very glad to be here. And as you said, Marcia, I'm a nurse, and I did serve in Vietnam uh, for a year, as did Betsy. Um, after my um, service in Vietnam, I came back to uh, Northern Virginia, and I still had two years of commitment to the Army, and so I served those two years. And I met my husband during that time, and um, both of us uh, were in the military. He was in the Medical Service Corps, and we decided to stay in the reserves, and I served for 30 years total, uh, uh, five years on active duty and 25 years in the Army Reserves, and I retired as a lieutenant colonel. Um, after that, I... Um, went to graduate school, as did my husband. We moved uh, to Chicago, and um, I got an MPH and uh, began teaching uh, nursing in a university setting. And over that time, we moved a couple times, but I got my doctorate in nursing. And I've spent most of my career um, until just last year when I stepped down um, teaching nursing students in a university setting, so in academia. Um, I, too, am from sort of a military family. My dad served in World War II as an enlisted um, officer or enlisted person, and um, my husband was in in the military, uh, retired as a colonel in the Army Reserves, and my son is presently serving as an infantry officer. He's at Fort Carson in Colorado. He's been deployed to the Middle East five times. So we still have very much um, military in our lives. Well, I might add, as I'm hearing you, and I just heard you mention, both of you mentioned parents, It would it's incumbent upon me to also say that my father was also served in World War II, and he was in the Army, and when he came out, he also went into the National Guard um, Reserve oh. and stayed there until he retired. And he was a Master Sergeant and E9, I think, was his um, title. And I, wow. I still have, you know, it's amazing what you hold on to. I still have his badges and his patches. <laughs> I remember my mother always sewed them on, and he always went to summer camp every every summer and you know when you when you're when you both know this when you're raised with somebody that had a military background um they're very orderly and my father was a very <laughs> orderly man and i think you know shirts were, were were shirts were folded properly and socks were folded properly and that i, I don't know if you remember my dad betsy but i mean he was a he was an orderly man and i and i had I believe that came from his military experience. It's not a criticism. Yeah. It's and it's I'm an orderly person myself. I inherited that. So I wish my husband had inherited that. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't pull the socks. <laughs> no. oh, that's funny. oh my gosh. So let's talk about the um the ninety fifth and let's talk about I'd like to know from both of you, I think a lot of our questions today for me that I'm most interested is is kind of directing these questions to both of you because you might each have a, your own story to tell. 
So I'm going to start with you, Betsy. Why did you personally join the Army uh, Nurse Corps? Well, um, after I graduated from nursing school, um, my best friend and I wanted to see the world, and we had tried to um, like get on Oops, some cruise I lost ships. You, Betsy, there. We were not successful. Hello. So, um, oh my goodness, at that Susan, you don't hear her either, do you? No. Yes, I hear her. Uh, okay. Okay, okay, I'm sorry there was a there was a delay, Betsy. So go ahead and say you 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 were to your best. This is a this is a live show. I can't do anything about that, so you cut out. You mentioned something okay, about I'm sorry. Your, your best um, friend. And how we my best friend and I wanted to see the world or do some traveling of some sort. Oh and so um I want, we, um are you there, Betsy? Yes. Can are you can, not hear sorry, me? Susan, can you hear me? Yes. I can Susan, hear, I can you, hear you too. I can hear you. Okay, so okay, so I don't know what's happening. It could be the the wires. We are experiencing some pretty devastating um, experiences in our air right now. So Betsy, you you were cutting out, and I apologize because I was not able to hear what you were saying about your you okay. and your best friend. So would you mind repeating it? No, I won't. I don't mind. Okay. Um, so okay, we wanted to see the world. And so, um, but we weren't successful in, in um, like, going on a cruise ship or that kind of thing. So there were um, Army recruiters that were trying to recruit some of the nurses that hadn't um, used their, um, hadn't used the military to help pay for their education. And I would say probably six, at least six women did join the Army uh, in my class. And uh, my best friend and I were guaranteed two one, one each assignment to Stuttgart, Germany for two years. And we were so excited because we knew that we would see a lot of Europe and, of course, you know, practice our nursing skills. It was strictly a selfish kind of a thing. But um, <laughs> so we, we joined. We set, sent off our stuff to Stuttgart, Germany. Um, and we went to basic training, and at that time, um, there were, um, like, Army nurses that were telling us, like chief Army nurses that were telling us in our basic training, that there were there was a desperate need for operating room nurses and um, that it could be our, our boyfriends, our cousins, our, you know, whatever that were over there that needed us. And, of course, we were 21, 22 years old, and we were – pretty idealistic and we so we gave up our guaranteed assignments to Stuttgart Germany and went to operating room school um, I should add that we both had brothers that were draft eligible and so I think we were also trying to protect them they were just getting getting ready to be out of college so um, anyhow we went to the operating room training in the Presidio in San Francisco and then instead of getting transferred directly to Vietnam like we had expected. We, we went to Fort Hood. We were transferred to Fort Hood, Texas, assigned to Fort Hood, Texas, for only four months. I'm not sure if they wanted to hone our operating room skills or what, but um, after four months of being there, which was a very short stay, um, we did get our little greetings from the chief nurse in Vietnam, and off we went in May 1971. Got it. All right. And you were were you only in Da Nang, Betsy? Yeah, you fly into you flew into um Tansanut Air Base, which is in um Saigon. 
which uh-huh. is was then called Saigon, and um, right. and then we traveled by military transport up to Da Nang, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. we also demanded when we gave up our assignment that my best friend and I would be assigned together wherever we went in Vietnam. Oh, good. So that was well, that for, was a saving those... grace that I had a very good friend. That, right, that Susan? Is great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I imagine. And for those that don't know that, just if. if as a person that has visited Vietnam um, several years ago, uh, Ho Chi Minh City, which was the, was former Saigon, is at the south of the country. Da Nang is in the central of the country. Hanoi is in the northern part of the country, for those of you that needed the geographics. Susan, wh- why did you decide to join the, the Army Nurse Corps? Uh, well, um, I had a best friend, too, in in uh, college, and uh she started talking to me about the about joining the Army Nurse Corps with her, and there was an Army Student Nurse Program, which was a scholarship. It paid for the last two years of your college, paid tuition and room and board, and but you were you were inducted into the Army um, immediately, and you were considered enlisted until you graduated. And so I thought, oh, that would, my parents were struggling to finance both my brother and I through school, and so I thought it would be a great way of getting a scholarship and also seeing the world. And, of course, I thought, you have to volunteer to go to Vietnam, and I wasn't interested in, go- in going to Vietnam. And so I joined. And so then I went mm-hmm. to the OR school, as Betsy did, and um, on the last day of my OR uh, school, we were graduating, and my commander came up to me and gave me a little note, and it said RVN, June 1971, and I just looked at him. I said, I'm going to Fort Hood, and he said, no, you're not, and somebody failed the course, and they switched our orders on the last day, and I found out I had like a week's notice that I was going, and so I thought, well, you know, they paid for my schooling. I owe them this. And so my mother almost freaked out, but mm-hmm. um, I went. So it was a bit of a shock at first. I didn't I'm have sure much time to adjust. So what, what was it like on those first few days that you were there? And was it what you expected? And either one of you can start by answering that question. What was your first, what was it like for you when you first got there? You want to go bed? Well, I just want to say that I didn't I didn't know what to expect, and mm-hmm. both Susan and I I know were were, were pretty young. I mean, and to be thrown into yeah. that situation was was um, like eye opening and frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, Susan? I don't know. It was it was it was a little scary for me. I you know flying in going into the 90th replacement facility to get our assignments. It was all enclosed in barbed wire and fencing and with guards everywhere. And then we get up to Da Nang and they put us in uh, living conditions that were sparse called it, was, was calling it something nice. I mean, it was basically two screened walls, uh, a bed and a chair. And basically that was it. And I, we were just in a state of shock, most of us. And then we found out after being there for a few days that in order to get a nice room, we had to buy it 
from somebody leaving. And so in a month after I arrived, I paid a couple hundred dollars and bought someone's room and ended up with a air conditioner, a refrigerator, carpeting, furniture, and so forth. So it was kind of funny. Yes, that was exactly wow. my same experience. <laughs> no kidding. You, you, so you, uh, you bought it. I mean, so the military. That's you, that's so. You paid the person. You paid, paid the, the person, person that was leaving. <laughs> you said, "Oh my God, okay." It was I, a I racket, I guess. Was, I was going to say it sort of sounds like a bribe, um, but that that's and fascinating. Had you did, go ahead. I think we. What I was just going to say, Susan. Did, when so when we left, didn't we also sell sell our yeah, rooms? To, well, no, we. Yeah. I didn't because I was. Well, you left before I did, but yeah. I was evacuated because they had bombed our compound, and so basically <gasps> we we left the compound, and they came in, and I heard later that it was just pilfered and so forth. So basically i didn't get any money for my room <laughs> but wow. isn't that something yeah most people I, did sell it yeah that's that's fascinating uh, uh, well <laughs> i mean that's what was happening and i bet neither one of you had i'm i'm just guessing but back in 1971 when you were young i'm guessing that neither one of you had ever flown internationally let alone to a war zone right i mean this must have been a really big deal Oh, and the planes were, they didn't have seats like our normal planes. They had sort of hammock seats that lined the sides of the plane. And so I thought we crashed several times before we landed in Da Nang. <laughs> Flying on those <laughs> oh troop carriers, it was quite something. Wow. And I remember oh flying God. into Saigon, and when mm-hmm. we were deplaning, I felt like... Um, we were getting off, and it just—I I just didn't know what to expect. I felt like I should run and duck and cover my head because <laughs> I just didn't know if I was going to be shot at. I mean, I really—it was—it was a fearful and the, and unknown of what we were supposed to do, and and no one told us what we're supposed to do really. No. So it was a little <laughs> scary. I, I do remember that the first couple days in country. Um, when we were staying in these terrible rooms that were just, and there was um, a rock, someone had launched a rocket into our compound, mm-hmm. and while well, there were patient, these, um, Betsy, you'll be right back. Keep talking, Betsy. Huh? Just know that, right? You, you, we lost your audio again. Oh uh, my gosh! I hate when you that know, happens. Let me, Do you want to say know, something? Let me tr- while we get wait for Betsy to get back. Beg your pardon. Hello. Oh, I yes, I don't hello. know if you were able to, but I hear you, Susan. Just out okay. of curiosity, just for the logistics of this, when when I stop hearing Betsy, do you stop hearing Betsy? I as hear well? her. I'm still hearing her. Okay, well that's really interesting. So that means that's a problem on my end, and so that's good to know that you're hearing her. But unfortunately, our audience probably weren't. Um, and I, yeah. I apologize. Yeah, I, I, I do really apologize to all of you that are listening, but both really to the two of you, because what will happen is suddenly I don't hear any audio and it's like, oh, my goodness. So um, I think what we were with Susan, what you were saying is that you were sort of expressing that fear of when you got off the phone, got off the phone, when you got off the plane that, you know, it's like, what do we do? So I, I can imagine that that must have been. Um, pretty um, unnerving. Yeah, I think we both went through that same same experience. It just 
we didn't really know what to expect, and we had obviously mm-hmm. never been in a war zone before. I had never even had a nursing job before, so it was it was quite yeah. something. I bet. Yeah. So what I what I understand that you shared in common is that you're both operating room nurses. Am I correct about that? That's what the 95th yes. Evac Hospital was. So I'd like to. Did you did you both have the same responsibilities or duties as as nurses in that hospital? Yes, we did. We, I mean, we did. we, we, we did. were we both worked in the operating room, but there were other nurses. There were ICU nurses. Um, emergency room nurses, and also there were actually what I called wards where ward nurses, patients, yeah, yeah, recovered, and they had nurses there as well. But Betsy but and I had actually, the same responsibility. We did. I see. Yeah. So and we. I think I put like, down. Go, go ahead. ahead. I just said we scrubbed and circulated on cases, um, and we basically. We worked and, until uh, the work was finished. Um, we had to assist doctors, uh, take care of the supplies and instruments. We had no disposables, so except for gloves and masks. And so we cleaned all of our sponges, our sheets, our tubing, and things like that. Do you want to add, Betsy? No, no I just was going to say that we, we did work 12-hour days, six days a week, um, and we also pulled call. Um, but of course, if the casualties were coming in and the the wounded were coming in, we we immediately went to the the operating room and um, worked until we were done, whatever whatever time was that. Um, yeah, we yeah we worked sort of as an equal partner with the medics, the OR techs, and the surgeons. I felt like um, we had we not only did we have some skills learn skills because we were pretty naive OR nurses, I believe, um, at that mm-hmm. time. But we were we were able to do things that you probably wouldn't be able to do even in any other military hospital. But in the war zone, they depended on every single person to work as a team. And I, I really do think, for the most part, yeah. it was a really finely tuned team. We just knew what we had to do. And we respected each other. We, there was no... I don't remember any controversy in the rooms. I mean, we just all pitched in when we had to. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One other thing I wanted to say was that um, when we were even had a day off, if we heard a lot of helicopters coming in, we all ran to the OR because we knew there were going to be injured people getting off of them, and we had to check in to see if they needed any assistance. Yeah. Right. Must have, it must have been pretty remarkable times. Um, and, and, and maybe maybe just thinking about it, it's like, wow, it was all those years ago. But as we talk, it's like, man, it brings back those memories of, you know, those, like you say, those circling um, helicopters. I don't know that you could probably say that there was a typical day because they're probably – wasn't a typical day being where you were located. But, Betsy, what I was wondering is, um, would you say that there was anything about what you did that was typical, the the type of injuries you saw or anything like that? Um, You know, there were some typical injuries, and without going into graphic detail, we, you know, Mm -hmm. did a lot of debridements 
um, on legs and, and that kind of thing. And the typical day was that we knew we were going to get up early and and work our tail off as hard as we could, and everyone knew the same thing. I mean, there wasn't – I don't ever remember people calling in sick or anything. You just worked yeah. until they didn't need you anymore. Um, sometimes if you were required to work 12-hour days um, and if there was a lull in the thing, you would – we would um, – do elective surgeries like tonsillectomies, hernias. Sue, I, I can't remember what other ones. Yeah, um, we did. Hmm. Um, we even delivered babies by C-section uh, on the locals. Yes, yes, and that's right. Like that. I, do rem- I remember that. I remember that now. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, and some if of any the injuries- Vietnamese person was injured um, by one of our vehicles, one of the army vehicles, we always operated on that person. They were brought to our hospital. Yes. Well, you know, yes. you you said something that was really interesting that I, I, I mean, I went like, oh, I made a presumption that I think is now incorrect. I presumed that your patients, the people that you saw in, in these ORs, were all military Americans. Is that, am, am I, do I have that wrong? You do. We you actually, do. we worked, we had, we, we even cared for, the Viet Cong, North Vietnamese. And the Rock Marines. Um, Republic yeah. of Korea Marines. Yes. So a whole, the whole gamut. That. And our, and our motto at 95th Vet Hospital is we care for all. And I think we truly did, although I, I have to put in now that there were some people that were resentful of caring for, like, the Viet Cong and, and that kind of thing. But yeah. this was but a medical. The this was the hospital. Right. So um, let's take the Viet Cong out just for the moment and just okay. say, so you had civilians that were brought to your hospital. When you said tonsillectomies, I'm thinking, why would that be somebody? So you saw civilians as well as military in your hospital. Yes, yes. but we didn't do we did. like tonsillectomies on the population. That was no. on soldiers. On soldier. A soldier may get a sore throat or something. We would take out his tonsils. I see. I see. But you saw civilians. You, people that were, were injured by you. military vehicles. Mm-hmm. I see. I, I, that's, or that's very if there was an emergency, like a C-section. We had one gynecologist at our hospital. He didn't know what his assignment was because there was <laughs> not a lot for him to do. So he was a little <laughs> angry that he got sent there, but... Uh, so he did recruit some patients. He had a, held a clinic for some of the civilian uh, women, women that worked on our base and things like that. And so mm-hmm. he sometimes did did things like um, C-section or tubal ligation. Got it. So as you yeah. as as we're reflecting, and I really do believe that that's what this show. We'll talk about the current status towards the end, but as we continue to reflect. I, I, as I say in the opening show, you know, I'm a story collector. I, I love people's yes. stories. Maybe, maybe you could each take a moment or two or three, whatever you'd like, and maybe share um, a, more, a memorable moment that, you, that you'd like to share with the audience based on your ex- personal experiences there. I'll, I'll start with you, Susan. What, is there some memorable experience that you can share with us? There is. There's one experience that sort of, defines my 
um, assignment to Vietnam, I think. Um, my mother, we, I was from a small town in Pennsylvania, and my mother told every person that she knew who was going to Vietnam to look me up um, and come and see me. So oftentimes I was being called either out of my sleep or out of work and <laughs> saying, somebody knows you, and I would go and say hello to someone from back home. But one night I was sleeping, and I got notified that someone in the ED knew me. And I wasn't going to go over because I was tired. It was my one day off, but I thought of my mother, and I thought, okay, I'll go. And so I went there, and there's my brother's college roommate. His leg was shattered. He was a, a helicopter, a assault helicopter pilot, and he was in bad shape. And he asked me if I would look out for him. And so I changed into my scrubs, and it wasn't a really busy night. They brought him into the OR, and his leg, was the artery was torn, and they were getting ready to amputate. And so I asked the orthopod if, since there, we weren't busy, if, they would, if he would mind calling the vascular surgeon and trying to save the guy's leg. And he was a little hesitant because it wasn't protocol because we did mostly life-saving measures, but he said, okay. He did it for me, and so he said, I'll give him 24 hours, and if it doesn't work, we're cutting that leg off, and I said, okay. So the next morning, I got up early to go see the guy, and he was already evac'd, and he was gone, and so then we just went on with our lives, and, you know, was revolving door of patients, and my brother lost contact with him, so 40 years go by, and I never knew what happened to him. And suddenly, a few years ago on Facebook, I get this message, and he asked me if I was the nurse who served at the 95th Evac, and I recognized his name. And so he came to my house and met my husband and I, and he had two legs, and um, he wanted to know what happened to him. He thought I was going to tell him that he had had a cardiac arrest, and he never knew he almost lost his leg. And I told him what happened. And so we're still friends today. And he retired as a colonel in the Army, and he had a good life. He had several surgeries after he came back, but they saved his leg. And so I thought I would try and tell the two doctors that did it. But I looked them up, and they had they both were deceased. And so I did write the wife of the orthopod that helped, and uh, she was. She just wrote to me this week and said she was so happy to hear that experience, and she was going to share it with his children and grandchildren. So, oh, what a lovely story! Wow, yeah. what a difference you made for that for that man, and and forty years later, through the miracles of social media, I know. You that believe must it? Have been so I know. Heartwarming. Wow. It was. What it about was, you, Beth? It was so very emotional to meet him, I have to say. I bet it was. Wow. What about you, yes. Bessie? Well, um, mine not quite as poignant, <laughs> but I will. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of okay. memorable experiences, of course, but um, I, this is mm-hmm. one that I sort of defined my first days there, and um, I remember scrubbing in on a, a re-debridement of a leg. So what they, they would do is on debridements of legs, um, you know, you, you, they'd step on mines or, or clay mines or whatever, and they'd get shrapnel, and then they would just cut out, like, the stuff and stabilize the leg, and they wouldn't close the leg up. But they would pack it, and they would um, 
um, put gauze around it, and then they would go to the ward if they were, you know, and then they would re-debreed them. Ultimately, probably those soldiers had to, you know, yeah. get transferred to a bigger hospital. But we re-debreeded until they got, like, stable. And so anyhow, I remember scrubbing in on a re-debreedment of a leg. And I, it was, like, the first week or so that I was there. And it wasn't my first debreedment because we did those a lot. But it was the first time I saw... Um, what I, I like looked and there was like these what I didn't know worms whatever crawling in this this inside oh of the God. leg wound, and they were they were maggots actually and so um, I just I felt like the the room was spinning I said oh my gosh I'm gonna pass out I can't pass out what the heck's going around you know I I didn't know and so the surgeon said well that it was a good thing that the maggots yeah. were there because they were eating the the dead necrotic tissue and they were leaving the good tissue so I always looked at that as a as a good sign we didn't always see maggots and I have to say we didn't always see maggots in, in wounds but it was like whoa and flies in the operating room were a real issue with um, us they just you know it wasn't a closed tight thing these were like Quonset metal huts that were that were you know we were operating in the yeah in the hospital and um there was this one young medic that perfected catching flies during surgery so he would take this rubber band and he would sh shoot it and he would always he never missed and he would get that that fly and then before that fly would like um land inside and and dirty or unsterile the wound he had this can and a broomstick handle and he would like put it up and the fly would ha would go into the can he was he, he didn't he didn't disrupt the surgery he didn't interfere with the sterile surgery we loved when he was circulating because he always did that and i can see his face to this day i'm sad i can't remember his name but and i can't um, I either yeah, but um, but I'm still not a fan of maggots, <laughs> however useful they can be. I'm just not a maggot fan. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's really – you're drawing such visual pictures for those of us that just didn't experience what you're describing. And you used a word, and I, and I always like to ask this because it's a vocabulary word that you are familiar with. It's a word I've never heard before. So is the word – um, Redebreeded? How do you spell that? I don't even. I don't even know how to how to say that. Well, word. I don't even know if it's the. I'm not sure if it is even a word. It, they debrided the the. So that means cutting out the bad tissue and stuff, and then they would bring them back in a day, two, three days later, and redebreed them. I don't know that it's just actually means a do word. Do it again. Yeah. No, I think it, just it means is. do it again. So. Um, and it, huh. it's debridement, and then I just put an R-E in front of it with a hyphen. I don't know if it's really a word, if you'd find that's it in fascinating. Um, a dictionary. That's fascinating. I will look that up. That, that's, that's, that was, <laughs> that's a new word for me. Um, I, wonder, I was going to ask, um, just based on, I can't even imagine maggots and flies and all of that, but undoubtedly, undoubtedly these were stressful times. And I'm just wondering... Uh oh, hello, 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 Marsha, 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 Marsha. Oh dear. Uh oh, she's gone. She's gone. Well, we'll just huh. wait. Okay, yeah, maybe she'll come back. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh, this is oh, gonna put goodness. her over the edge. 
There oh, she is. Oh, gosh, because my call just dropped, ladies, so I don't really know. It just I suddenly got a thing that said my call failed, but now I hear you both. This is yes. This is how this is how this works. And unfortunately, unfortunately, people that listen to my show and follow my show, and thankfully I'm not new at this. I've been doing this a long time. This is a first. This is the first time my own phone has dropped, but I'm back, <laughs> so that's good. Um, I'm going to now really do my yoga breathing and just. Because I was saying about stressful times, so clearly let's <laughs> let's keep some sense of reality here. Some, ser- I mean, in all seriousness, some serious um, sense of reality. This, I'm sitting in a very comfortable office. You are um, in uh, Northern Virginia, Betsy. You're unfortunately by a lot of fire areas and 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 north of where I'm located, but we're safe, and 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 yeah. we're having this conversation and. That's what this is all about. And so with the technical difficulties that are coming and going, I'm just going to say, as my, my dearly departed husband would say, it just is what it is and adapt. <laughs> so that's what yep. we're going to do. Yep. So speaking about stressful times, that's how to bring your husband into the story. Um, speaking <laughs> about how did, you, how did you keep your morale up and, you know, under, under the conditions that you saw, I, I have a feeling that you might have seen some, you might have done some fun things. Did you, did, what did you do to keep your morale up? Susan, do you want to tell them about Lancers? Oh. Uh, okay. Um, well, we, <laughs> you don't, we, I um, can, but you, you go, go no, on, I do can it. do that. Yeah. We tried to keep <laughs> our sense of humor, number one. And um, sometimes it wasn't easy. I think we listened to music. Some people play cards. We slept. Um, but, Two, some doctors had the idea. They were, they had three rooms on the corner of the mail barracks on the second floor, which was the building was facing the South China Sea. They ordered a plexiglass window from Sears catalog. <laughs> they had a hole cut in the wall of their building. They sealed this plexiglass window so you could see a view of the South China Sea. Then they knocked down the wall between two of the rooms and put bunk beds in the third room that they could sleep in, and they used it as a gathering place. And we gathered, and that's what everybody did when they had free time in the evening. We would go there and play music and talk and have a few drinks, and uh, that was our fun place, and we called it Lancers. Lancers, and we (laughs) We called it maybe from the – yeah, it may have been from the wine. I'm not sure, yeah, but from the wine, we even, yeah. And we even had T-shirts made. Yeah, <laughs> and we had T-shirts made that said Lancers on it. So it was it was a nice funny. gathering spot. And they they made a that, fake, they bought one of those cardboard um, uh, fireplace uh, <laughs> things and put that up. <laughs> it was really fun. That was and then there innovative. was a, um, there was a like. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a there was like no. a, a a big um like a poster board type um yes thing attached that if you were short, which means that you were going to get to go home soon. I think it was a did was it hundred days or less was considered yes, short. It was the honor know. rule. Yeah. Yeah, and then you would write your name, and then they would photograph that, and um it was it was pretty funny, but it did. And you're you know, going you away that, party. 
your going away party, you had a sense of camaraderie and, and, and our experiences were so similar, you know, dealing with what we had to deal with. So it was a, it was a sure. bright spot. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I can hear it. I can, I can, I've, I've seen that South China Sea. <laughs> I've sat in Da Nang and Hoi An particularly <laughs> and, and was with a, a professor from Loyola Marymount that said, you know, 50 years ago, I was on the other end looking this way because he was yeah. on a submarine. He was in the Navy. Wow. And okay. Um, okay. It, it's, it, it's very interesting, people's experiences, what, what they bring home with them. And I, that sort of takes me to where, I, where I'd like to go now, and that is, what did you do when you returned home? I, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what that was like. I think you said in the beginning that both of you um, um, had some use, particularly Susan, stayed in the military, in the reserves. Betsy, were you in for just a little bit longer, or were you out when you got home? No. When I le- when I um, we flew to Fort Lewis in Washington, and I signed my discharge papers. I actually got out early wow. to go back to school. They were allowing um, medical some medical personnel to get out early if they were going to go back to school. Um, we had to write our senator, which was Senator Cranston, I believe, at the time. So mm-hmm. my dad did all of that paperwork. He, so anyhow, yes. So I we came back. Um, I came back to Fort Lewis, and immediately I was discharged at that time. And um, yeah, so um, I went. I I worked full time and went to school full time um, when I came back uh, in an operating room in a private um, civilian hospital, and it surely wasn't the same as what I had experienced in the military and. I was not valued. I was like a handmaiden. Mm-hmm. I did not feel like my skills were valued. And um, there were these prim- prima donna doctors that would throw instruments and have temper tantrums. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I got out of the operating room. It was, it was agonizing for me to, to feel like I had contributed so much and knew so much, but yet my skills weren't being put to use. And I demeaned, demeaned as a, as a woman, as a scrub nurse or a circulating nurse, whatever I did. And um, so then um, I actually, when I got home, I, I threw all my medals and uniforms and dog tags in the trash. I was sort of mad at the, I was mad the at world. The, the, the world, the United States, mm-hmm. the war, sad at the, at, the, at the injuries that I knew that these GIs would never live a normal life and um so I threw them out my mom had the 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 wisdom to retrieve them and she kept them for me mm-hmm. so um but I I worked really really hard so I didn't have to deal with my feelings and I I didn't date I I think I lost my sense of humor for um at least 6 months I didn't date I didn't socialize I just sort of stayed with my family and I didn't talk about it What year was that Betsy oh. Would you come that home? That was 72. 70, 1972. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came home in January 1972 to go back to school. So I was going to start my schooling in, in February. So. Right. Yeah. Wow. But what Susan would had a different. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I think that I, I stayed in the military. I had two more years, and I met my husband. Um, I didn't – I wasn't as angry as Betsy was, but we – you know, we we had a lot of support of other military people, so we didn't have the harassment that we did 
actually when we went to graduate school a few years later and nobody understood and nobody ever asked me about my experiences. And um, I I thought a lot about why I didn't get PTSD because I, I'm in touch with some other nurses that had severe PTSD. And yeah. Betsy and I talked about this. And really being in the OR saved us because we had a 99% survival rate for our patients being in the OR. And we didn't see the long-term infections that they had. We debrided their wounds and sent them on. Um, and they lived, and we weren't dealing with them suffering. They were unconscious when they were with us. We made sure they were safe and well taken care of while in the OR. But um, it really isolated us from a lot of the horrors, I think, of war, and even the horrors that they saw in the emergency department where patients died before they got to us. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that's that saved me. And um, it, it, for me too, we didn't yeah, have to have yeah. a GI looking at our at us if we were working in the ICU or recovery room, saying, "Why me?" or "Why me?" Don't leave me. Where's yeah, my leg? Don't leave me. Yeah. Where's my leg? Yeah. Where's my? We didn't have to deal with that. I mean, no. uh, so on a on a cerebral level, you could think it, but you sort of buried it deep inside you, I think, because yeah. you just worked at it as sort of a machine. You know, we did what we needed to do, and we didn't have to deal with those those GI's emotions and yeah. their The only they, thing that ever bothered me was helicopters. Yeah, we're hearing yeah. helicopters. Yes, me too. And there was a there was a particular smell. I I don't know if it was just a musty. Things were musty <laughs> over there. Okay. Actually, yeah. We had, did, do you remember that musty? Sp- and they, yes. they would iron our sheets because they, they would never dry. Remember? No. And yes. I, that musty that musty smell. I it, when I would smell that that and helicopters were the two things that would sort of trigger. Yeah. A memory of, of I didn't Vietnam. have the smell thing, but the helicopters definitely. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what's so fascinating? I wouldn't have guessed this. If I would have been completely wrong about this too. Ninety-nine percent survival rate. Yes, we lost very few that patients. That's unheard of. Wow. Yeah, it was really amazing. And, and the injuries I'm, were such that they had never seen in wars before because the the medevacs could get them. Back to a hospital, especially like yeah. our hospital was probably the biggest hospital in in the northern part of South Vietnam. Yeah, just yeah. right away. Okay. So where maybe GIs would have died before, they got them to us or bled out or something. Or, right, right. Yeah, right. they didn't do that because wow. we were so close. Yep. Hmm. Did you see patients with Agent Orange or no? Mm, well, we yeah, had- well, we were. Probably, yes, but we didn't know it. They And they had scrubbed yeah. them by the time they got to us or patient right. count. I see. Yeah. I see. And we did have burns, and I don't know if that mm-hmm. was, you know, yeah. I don't know. Of... But we did we did see, but we saw burns. That was yeah. phosphorus wow. grenade. Yeah, yeah, that was one I thing. I see. Yeah. Well, I I I know our time is 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 rapidly closing, and I I there's so much to talk about. Not to mention we've had some technical difficulties. So I I want to move over to this question right now because I think it's really important given the fact that we are really saluting women in the military today. And um, Susan, you since I I don't know how many women of the generation of the time that you were in the military rose to your 
um, lieutenant colonel. I don't know how common that was. What was that I don't fairly unusual? I don't well, know. I mean, but I would say a lot of people got out like Betsy did. A lot of the people that mm-hmm. like the the young nurses, wouldn't you say, Betsy? Yes, I, I lo- do. A lot Although of I did got have out. A, yeah. I had a friend, and I, you may have even met her, but she was she joined in nursing school, and she she I think became a, a colonel. Okay. So, um, well, and Candace, yeah. I mean, she stayed in. Yeah, she um, stayed in. I mean, some did, but you know, most I would say most didn't. Yeah. Well, what's the status of um, women in the military today and, and reserves? Are, is because I believe you are still actively involved in some um, organizations. So maybe you could just Um, give us a a little snapshot of what's happening today. Well, um, first of all, there are a lot more women in the military, and they are doing jobs much different than just nursing jobs or tech jobs like we did. Um, A lot of them, 20% of new recruits are women. So even though it's 10% of the active force, 22, 20% are new recruits. So it's getting bigger and bigger. And so uh, I think, you know, so women are actually in combat. I mean, I did my dissertation on um, issues in communicating from deployment, and women, you know, were doing combat jobs, and I talked to some of them. The VA, when they're getting out, however, the VA is trying hard, but it's falling short. It's still a male-dominated culture, and um, they're they're trying to bridge the gaps. They're trying to um, have women representatives at the VA hospitals, but about one in five women go without needed services in the VA. We have health care, housing respect, social issues, especially sexual assault. That's a big problem. One-third one of the VA hospitals do not have GYN doctors. They don't have mammography. Mm. And some of they don't have gender-focused um, uh, uh, mental health services. So they're still trying hard uh, and to, you know, to work on um, being – serving women. Um, There's also a law that um, only gives five years of health care to those who served in combat, and uh, people are trying to get that changed to anybody who served served in combat theater get a lifetime of VA availability, and that so far has not been passed in Congress. May I interrupt you right there? So sure. just so that I'm understanding what you're saying, so is that both male and female? The yes. VA was with yes. The, okay. Yes. And so right now the circumstances is that you only get five years of 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 restate that so that I'm clear what you just said. It's a public law 110-181, and it's it gives um, it mandates five years of health care for anybody who served. This is not people who retire. People who retire have VA benefits until they die. But these are people who served. They have five years of health care post-service, rather, and even if they served in combat. 
and instead of a lifetime of service of of, of healthcare mm-hmm. service. So yeah. they're trying to get that and changed. What, what's the difference between? I'm sorry, you don't know what you don't know. So that's okay. What's the difference? What's the difference between the 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 status that you just described of having only five years of of healthcare po- post service, as opposed to the person that has lifetime. Lifetime, well, the person who has uh, lifetime care. of medical care, he's like me. He he retired in the service. Oh, he he, so he if you re- stayed in and retired. You have to spend. God, is it twenty years? Is it twenty, 20 years? years? Yes, yes, twenty years to get your I retirement. See. That's fascinating. So if you if you if you devote twenty years to service, that is how you get this lifetime. If you don't yes. put in 20 years and you've deployed to Iraq or you've deployed to Afghanistan, to Afghanistan. Syria, or what, any of you these places. You only get places, five years. Only five years. Post-service. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that explains and a lot a, about the walking law. wounded that's on a, our That's a national law. Well, yeah. well that, I wonder how many people we're aware of that. I think this is really eye-opening to hear you say that, and I really hope that that changes because I don't care what part of the country you live in, particularly if you live where Betsy and I do, where the where the temperatures are more moderate than where you live, Susan. Yeah. And, and because homeless. I am related to the homeless population in a different, a few different organizations and the PTSD that's out there right now. And they're so frightened. And if you're saying that they didn't retire because they're not even, they aren't even old enough to put in 20 years to retire. Right. Five years and that's, that is something that, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by that. And I think on this particular day, as we are recounting the beautiful services that you have both um, given to our country, um, this is something that's that's notably important. If other people that are listening are in the same position that I am, that really did not know that, that's a very eye-opening um, statement. And I, I'm really grateful, frankly, that you have shared that and that people can follow that along in their own communities and their own representatives to see about making a change for our veterans that have given so much and have lost so much. So, But even, really... even for those who do have the benefit, the women who do have the benefit, women. they are still not, there's still many, many gaps for them. And a lot of times mm-hmm. the male patients that are at the VA hospitals, most of them are, a lot of them are older, I w- would say. Mm-hmm. They think that they when the women they see are either dependents or you know daughters or whatever of of somebody who served they don't think they're the veteran they say well you're not the veteran um and so oh. it's a sort of a lack of respect lack of recognition mm. that kind of mm. thing and a lot of the services are not women oriented and so that that's something they need to work on. There, they are working on it, but there are still big gaps. I believe that um, that there's a link that you're going to share with me that I will then share on my blog, um, following our show for people that want to learn more. 
And if there's yes. something specifically about this legislation, um, I'll make sure that you get that information to me so that I can also link that um, on my website. It's in the document for that I'm sending you. Perfect. I, I appreciate you doing that. Okay, well, um, yeah. in just the, the last few moments that we have together, um, because I, I have alluded, said more than once how Betsy and I really have known each other for a very long time. Um, and you, Betsy, you had mentioned that your mom, had, you had gotten rid of all your stuff and you were grateful that your mom pulled all that stuff back. Um, mm-hmm. I just am curious, really, what this what this conversation has meant just having this conversation with both of you on this very important day. What does it conjure up in you, Betsy? Well, it's interesting because I think I've I've forgotten a lot of things, um, maybe on yes. purpose or, or whatever, about mm-hmm. my experience. And I knew that we were going to have this interview, so I took down my dusty box that I keep in the garage, and it's filled with letters that my mom had saved, all the letters I had ever written. <laughs> and I have never looked at them in, in almost 50 years. Uh, so I I read every single one of them. And uh, it was quite, you know, I, I will have to say I, my letters were not very, they weren't deep. It was more how are you. It was about the landscape. It was about the weather. It wasn't or what I bought at Sears. Um, but it was a very, you know, I looked at the dates and I could see my journey. And it was very reflective for me. Um, I think I had buried a lot of my thoughts and um, the tragic events that we had seen. But what I, my takeaway from this um, and also, I, I was featured a long time ago when the first Gulf War on a um, news a news station. Um, what was, I think good, not good day, LA, a, AM Los Angeles or something with Steve Edwards oh, yes. and uh, Tom and Tommy Little Edwards. and O'Connor yeah, or Stephanie. Uh-huh. Maybe it was Stephanie Edwards, maybe. But anyhow, yes. Um, yes. right when the Iraq War came, and because I was working with an organization at that time to try to get the Women's Memorial funding for that, um, I was on TV, and um, they just mm-hmm. wanted to know our experiences and and that kind of thing, how we didn't get have a homecoming, per se, the Vietnam vets. We really didn't. And um, but the question, the end question was, you know, well, would you if would you go back again to a war situation to, you know, help save people? And it, it was at that point I said, well, yes, I, you know, yes, I, I would, mm-hmm. I would. But, um, mm-hmm. but then this, this, this journey from 19, let's see, when did I, that, that the, the Iraq war was when, I can't even remember now, 1990 or something? 1992. 1992. Oh, okay, Iraq, you remember Iraq, that. no, that was Desert no, Storm, i yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 92. Wasn't 91, it? 92. Yeah. 91, 92. So I just, I, you know, this box of stuff, and including my medals and some hats and some old tapes that I will, I'm going to, my, I'm going to organize them because I, I want to share them with my family. They don't know. They have no idea. Isn't that? So, thank you. I, so thank a, you. I was going to say, is that a, I was going to say, I hope that was a good thing for you. Um, yes, it to, was a good thing. Um, Thank you. To reflect. The, uh, you're, you're really welcome. And, uh, you, you know, I just, I think it's really, it says a lot about the both of you. And, and I, I really liked your stories. I've, I've learned some things that I didn't know before. And I think it's important 
um, when when these when these days come by, these they're that they're not just seen as a day where we don't get mail and somebody doesn't go to work, <laughs> that we actually reflect yeah. on the fact that people sacrificed and you did sacrifice. You were young women, and you sacrificed your safety, your your health, all of those things to go to a war. And I mean, I just think that it's really um, something that I'm hoping that as people listen to our show and they think about their own family circumstances and maybe their parents themselves, their brothers, sisters, spouses, that, that they recognize that we need to be a grateful country. And while we weren't particularly giving the homecoming that was necessary back in those days, it's never too late when you see somebody or know somebody that was in the military, just say thank you. Thank you for your service. It's emotional. It's emotional for me to even say that to you because you did sacrifice. It It, it really is. And I'm, I'm part of the grateful nation that really truly appreciates what you did. And as women in particular, and a basically man at those, in those days, like you said, a male dominated time for you to be so brave it's it's impressive and i am so very grateful that you took the time today and spent the amount of effort that both of you put into this show ahead of time because it doesn't just happen people there's really preparation that happens we don't prepare for having our calls disconnected that's never cool but we do prepare to to bring to you each week something that is inspiring or informative or just gives you a sense of what we do and and what my show is all about. And every week it's different. Next next week I'm having a man. His name is John Muse, and it's spelled M E W S. But he is a he's the founder of Music Moves, and is he's a neurologist. He's a neurologist, and he's a music therapist. And that's the beauty of podcasting. That's the beauty of having a show like this where I can bring people from all over to share their life passions. And I'm grateful that you guys both spent your time today. I salute you both for spending this this hour with me. It's just been wonderful. Well, thank you for having Thank you, Marcia, for having us. It was a, it was a pleasure. And <clears throat> when you see somebody in the military today, people – Please recognize that. And I look forward to having you join me, and and I will um, absolutely share your information, Susan, so that people can learn more about that. But until next week, everyone, have a wonderful day. Stay safe, and I'll look forward to having you join me again very, very soon. 